Hey guys, it's Ed, and I'm coming to you live from quarantine. I hope you are ready for some big, big gossip today. Uh, we have an exclusive, which I'm going to lead off with in just a second here. We actually have two exclusives. Um, the other one will lead right into Politalk. Uh, Will will be joining us remotely, um, as he has been for the last couple months. Uh, you know, I, I get it. Um, people are asking when Will and I are going to record together again. Honestly, at this point, there's no telling. Um, someone said we should do a virtual re um, record session together. And we've, we've thought about it. We've tried. I just don't know that we could get the technology together um, to, to do it properly. Um, but that being said, he and I are still in constant contact. Um, we talk every day. We discuss the show. Um, you know, all that kind of good stuff. So Will is very, very much part of this. Even when I do go off on my quote-unquote legendary tangents. <laughs> all right. All that being said. Let's talk Darren Chris. You guys remember I told you I had a um, former gossip column friend uh, who has since retired and is helping me with some scoops in Los Angeles. Well, he gave me a good one, and it was verified by three different sources. So what is this big bombshell? Well, Darren Chris was seen exiting a well-known gay bar in West Hollywood with a male companion. All three of them stressed that they didn't see them kissing or hugging on one another or anything of that sort. Uh, but outside of the club, inside of the club was a different story. They were grinding on one another. They were, um, it was very obvious that they were very comfortable with one another. Now, all of you have, all of you know that Darren Chris has always fought the gay rumors. Um, in fact, uh, one way he's tried to combat them is by saying he's not going to take any more gay roles since he's not gay. And he doesn't feel right um, taking LGBT roles when he's not LGBT. Uh... But sources from Hoover have said he's not quite being as honest as he, he wants to appear to be. Um, here in Michigan, he went to, um, he lived in Ann Arbor near University of Michigan. And a lot of the students who I've talked to up there um, from around when he was in college said he actually had a long-term boyfriend uh, and this was not a secret they were it was very obvious that they were together and it was very obvious that um, um, that they were a couple they didn't do anything really to hide it so why hide it now uh, you know he's in the Ryan Murphy troop so it's not like he would lose work um, should he come out and in fact, um, Ryan Murphy could perhaps work him more. 
And that's a very fair argument. Um, until you consider um, Chris Colfer was completely out. Um, and whether it's by choice or not, um, it can be debated. But Ryan Murphy has not worked with him since Glee. Uh, Leah Michelle and Ryan Murphy were involved in Feud. And he still worked with her on Scream Queens. Although, and this is a completely different story that we can talk about later. That was rumored to be just because the network interfered and said, Hey, we think this would be a good thing for the show. But back to Darren Chris. Um, a lot of times what happens, um, and it really seems to have happened with, with Darren Chris, is... You want to gay bait the audience, but you don't want them to think that you're gay. Nick Jonas is a perfect, perfect example of this. You know, he did those really sexy pictures, uh, I believe for Kelvin Klein, and became a thirst trap, and then went off and married Priyanka Chopra. So he got the gay's attention without ever having to um, say he's not gay. Darren Chris went about it the same way. And this is where the real scandalous part comes in. Um, Darren Chris landed Glee. His fame rose quite rapidly. Um, and he maintained a public girlfriend. And this girlfriend has been by his side um, during the assassination of Versace. He proposed to her. And then recently they actually got married. So why go to all this trouble? to hide the fact that you're gay, especially um, since seemingly you could come out and not have it affect your career. Well, Darren Chris thinks he's too big for TV. And the Emmy win has done nothing to, uh, to, to shrink that. Uh, he has been heard, overheard saying quite a few times he does TV for the paycheck, but he knows he belongs on the movie, in the movies, on the big screen. Now, there's nothing wrong with having ambitions. We all have them, or we, at least we all should have them. But, if you're, you marry a woman in order to boost your um, boost people's belief that you're heterosexual, but you're seen exiting a gay club, maybe that's not the wisest move. Uh, I'm just saying, like, you know, um, and as I was saying, inside the dance club, they were grinding on one another. It was very obvious that they were together. A few times, um, two other sources said a few times they actually snuck off to the bathroom and they tried to follow them in, but security would not let them. Um, now, it doesn't mean that they were doing anything um, sexual 
or even illegal. They could have just needed to pee and wanted privacy. Uh, but it is rather odd that they that's a security from a nightclub would allow two people to go into the bathroom alone um, and make the rest of the people wait. And they were in there, according to both sources, for at least 15 or 20 minutes. I'm going to follow up on this story as we go. Um, oh, um, one, of, one of the things I, I guess I should have said, obviously, during since this is quarantine, this happened in late February. So it's still fairly recent. Um, it's just reaching me now. Uh, but I'm obviously going to keep an eye out for... Um, for more of this um, story, because I do believe that there's more to it. Um, my friend said he's he's working the story, uh, and he will pass along whatever he finds to me. So, but right now, I need to take a break, and I will be right back. And I'm back. Alright, so. We talked about... Uh, Kristen Cavallari and Jay Cutler in the last episode. And we um, we talked about how she's accusing him of cheating, he's accusing her of cheating, and all this other good stuff. So now we're getting down into the finances. Kristen had asked Jay for $5 million so she could buy her and the kids a house. And Jay told her in no uncertain terms that it was up to her to go and buy her own house. If she didn't have the money, she needed to get a job. Now, here's where the two sides are kind of split on this whole matter. Team Jay says, hey, you know, one of the things that attracted to him, to her in the first place was the fact that, she, you know, she had a, a career going, um, you know, she was very pretty, but she was also driven and was not afraid to um, push the, the limits. Um, and, you know, she was going places... Uh, and when the Hills reboot came around, he actually thought she was going to jump on board and bring in some some money of her own. But she didn't do that. Um, she insisted on on doing her own reality show, which didn't do quite as well in the ratings. It wasn't as splashy. And so they um, this camp feels that he did exactly the right thing uh, and actually applaud him for for doing that and which you know i'm not saying i agree or disagree but i get it i understand where they're coming from team Kristen, however takes a different uh, argument they say that he asked her to give up her career and only reluctantly agreed to do the reality show with her uh, when 
there wasn't a lot of money coming in because his football career was over. Um, and since she had to give up so much of her career uh, to take care of their kids and whatnot, he owes her money. And he should want his kids to live in a decent house. And they're not quite sure why he seems to be so petty. And again, I, I'm not agreeing or disagreeing with this argument. I'm just saying I understand it. Um, from what various sources have told me, Jay was very tight with money even when they, um, even before the divorce came. And everything is in his name. And so it's going to be a fight uh, to the finish. However, they were married in California, I believe. Um, when I've said it, no one has corrected me. So I believe that they were married in California. And California's uh, marital laws are very generous. Um, and it's very likely that anything that was made during the marriage, um, barring any kind of prenuptial agreement, of course, um, will be split 50-50. Here's where it could get interesting. Kristen is going with a scorched earth, plays out the divorce in the tabloids slash press route, um, which could put public pressure on Jay twofold and give her what she wants early on. Uh, I've... We've seen this work, um, I forget what her name was, but Mel Gibson's ex. Um, I believe she was just his ex-girlfriend, but she was still able to play the scorched earth. Um, play the scorched earth uh, plan. And she did very, very well with it. Um, I she, she didn't walk away with half, but she walked away with a good chunk of change. Um, more than what any person could ever possibly need. Um, so if if Kristen does that, she could walk away with a big chunk of money. Um, accusing him of cheating with her ex-best friend is definitely the first way to go. However, if... If the rumors are true and Jay caught her in bed with someone else, that's where I think it's going to get really tricky. Um, and again, I, I don't know the wording of their prenup or if they even have a prenup. Um, if they don't, then this is all a moot. And they should just move forward um, with a divorce case. Uh, and it could just be two bitter exes fighting one another. Which... Sadly, um, happens way more than what we want to admit that it does. But conversely, uh, it could be one is fighting for what they truly believe in. Uh, none of my sources seem to think that either of these two are squeaky clean, as they want to try to appear. And they don't believe that either one of them are actually 
looking out for what's best for the kids. They're looking out for what's best for them. And honestly, isn't that the saddest thing about this whole thing? The kids are the losers in this. And on that note, I'm going to take a break and I will be right back. And I'm back. Alright, so we, we've never really delved into YouTube personalities and that, those kind of scandals. Although I'm told I should and I probably will um, going forward. But this is, um, this is a sad note to start this on, but I'm going to go ahead and do it anyways. Um, Sunday night was Corey LaBerry's 25th birthday, um, and he was tragically killed. Uh, LaBerry was a very, a very well-known, um, YouTube personality. Uh, he had more than 323,000 subscribers. Um, the videos I looked at had millions of views. Um, his Instagram had a ton of followers. I think someone said almost a million. Um, but it was all cut tragically short after a night of partying um, with his best friend, Daniel Silva. Now, there's no... Um, there's no quick telling because... L.A. and California are supposed to be under stay-at-home orders. Um, some reports have reported that the men were out at a club. Others have said that they were just drunk and decided to go for a ride. Um, it was it was very late. Um, we do know that for a fact. Um, and both men had been drinking. Daniel Silva was behind the wheel of the car. Uh, and he, he was going at a really high speed, according to the police reports. And lost control of the car. And they had a telephone pole. And this led to... Um, Corey's tragic, untimely death. And, um, the, uh, it's a little bit ironic here because Corey had posted that he and Silver were going to get trashed. Um, in an Instagram post, he said, you know, it's my birthday. Um, I hate quarantine, but we're going to get drunk anyways. Which is where some of the confusion is coming in from whether they were out at a club or if they were, they just got drunk at home. So, a police responded to a car accident. And again, this is another kind of confusing part because there's conflicting reports. One report says that Daniel Silva was arrested for uh, murder right away. Um, another report said he sobered up and went in to the police station, uh, answered some questions, and then was arrested. Um, in either case, uh, he is being charged with murder. Um, 
because he was drunk and knowingly got behind the wheel, uh, knowing that he was impaired and probably should not be behind the wheel at all. Um, so, you know, uh, but I mean, just let's take a second and I almost hate to say this because it sounds like I'm on Silva's side. I'm not. He, obviously he did wrong. Uh, we all know he did wrong. He knows he did wrong. But his best friend was killed. He has to live with the fact that he killed his best friend for the rest of his life. Um, does he deserve to be tried? Yes. Should we take a little bit of sympathy on him? I think so. Um, you know, again, I'm not supporting drunk driving at all. Um, but it, there are monsters and then there are people who make mistakes. Um, without knowing much about Silva, it seems to me like he just made a mistake. Um, a tragic, horrible mistake, one that he should be punished for. Um, but there are some people who are calling for him to get the death penalty. Come on. Uh, you know, guys, we want to practice a little bit of kindness, I think, here. Um, should he serve some jail time? Yes. Should he be forced to go through rehab? Definitely. Should he die? No, I don't believe that at all. I'm not anti-death penalty. But let's save it for the people who deserve it. The people who willingly kill 80,000 people by believing... By spouting lies that it's a democratic hoax. Um, things like that, you know. And again... And even in that case, I would want that person to have a fair trial. Because that's just what America is founded on. Justice. We are supposed to let people have a fair fair trial with a jury of their peers. Um, and in Silva's case, I'm a little bit worried that due to his friend's popularity he's not going to be able to get a fair trial. Um, and of course he could take a plea and um, this could all be moot. It's a breaking and developing story. I have sources on the ground trying to figure out um, what's going on. As soon as I hear anything, I of course will report it back to you. But for right now though, I'm going to take a break and I'll be right back. And I'm back. Alright, so just so you guys know, when Will hears that I went off on a Trump tangent and a true crime segment, I'm going to lose my position as host of Trump Gossip. So I love you all. <laughs> oh, I haven't made that joke in so long, it feels so good to make it again. I need to tell Will I made it. <laughs> um, and I always tell him when I make that joke. Um... Just because it irritates him so much. <laughs> I wish you guys could see his face when I make those jokes. <laughs> and you may. Um, we are working on developing a spinoff of Drunk Gossip, um, a vlog, um, or, or a YouTube, YouTube show. Um, details of that will be forthcoming. But for right now, 
Let's talk about Michael Strahan. Yes. Uh, okay. So you all know I have sources inside ABC, um, CBS, and in NBC now. Um, and they're all working on getting us some good, good, good gossip. Um, and it seems like I lean into ABC more than the others. It's because um, my sources in ABC I've known longer, and they're much more free with with the um, the scoops that they give me. Um, so this one has been verified by two of the sources um, that I have, and basically. They're, what I'm being told is that you should expect Michael Strahan to be on his way out of Good Mo at least Good Morning America, if not ABC as a whole. So what happened? It started innocently enough um, when ABC announced Strahan and Sarah. It was supposed to be the another hour of Good Morning America, except this one was going to be in the afternoon. Okay, you know, people often will be like, I don't see it, I don't get it. I do, I, I totally understand it. You know, I think when there's money to be made, you try to make it any way you possibly can. And that's all ABC was doing here. They really wanted to make some extra money. Um, and GMA is a very valuable property for them. And NBC with the with the Today Show has had uh, some really good luck in expanding um, and expanding their franchise. Of course, I think what NBC did that was brilliant is they left it on in the morning. <laughs> Um, but, you know, to each their own. So, um, and this is not the, obviously, Strahan and Sarah is not the first time that they've tried to expand the Good Morning America franchise. Um, back in the early 2010s when they canceled All My Children and One Life to Live, they put out a news magazine called Good, Good Afternoon America, which lasted less in six months um, and the chew ended up taking its place uh, and even the chew didn't was not achieving the same ratings that all my children and um, had been getting so as we look at what what happened or what's happening, I should say. Um, when they announced Strahan and Sarah, they expected some fairly good ratings. Uh, Michael Strahan was still coming off a really successful stint as Kelly Ripa's co-host on Live. Um, Sarah Haynes was coming off of um, an uber-successful um, stint as co-host of The View. And, frankly, it seemed like uh, a pairing made in heaven. 
Except for the fact that they didn't consider that maybe people don't want another talk show. <laughs> um, uh, they canceled the two. They brought in Shahan and Sarah. And the show debuted to unremarkable ratings. But ABC was determined to stay the course with the show. And um, there was a title change um, where it was, for a while, it was GMA3, uh, Strahan, and Sarah. Uh, and then, of course, Sarah Haynes was pregnant and um, had to go on maternity leave. So they brought in Kiki Palmer. Uh, and Kiki Palmer was a massive, massive hit for the show. Um, and the ratings went up a bit. Sarah Haynes came back. Uh, and Michael Strahan took some time off. Um, so Kiki continued to co-host. Again, these were still unspectacular ratings, but they were much better than where they had been. Michael Strahan came back. Uh, they decided to add Kiki Palmer as a permanent co-host. And... A rating settled in um, just in basically just above the middle of where they had been in the highs. Um, but still, it, it was looking like cancellation bill, and Michael Strahan allegedly threw a fit at the higher ups, blaming them for the show's lack of success. Uh, and they were not thrilled. Um, they put their neck out on the line. They risked their one of their more popular franchises um, live by taking him away and angering Kelly Ripa. And for him to act like this, it was kind of a slap in the face to them. And... With the um, with New York City under stay-at-home orders, uh, all all over New York, but especially New York City, if you've ever if you've seen any of the um, photos from Times Square, you'll see it's empty. Um, so while some talk shows were going live at home, and in fact, Sarah Haynes actually filmed some episodes of The View from her house. Um, they, they could have easily done Sarah Strahan and Kiki, um, from, uh, from their house, or from, from their homes, but they chose not to. Instead, they chose to put in pandemic, what you need to know now. And this seemingly pissed off Michael Strahan again. Uh, but, as ABC pointed out, the new show is getting very good ratings. Um, it is very cheaply produced. Um, and Amy Robach and Dr. Jen Ashton are already at the studio. So it's not, it's not very difficult to imagine, um, 
that it it was it's hard to produce. Um, and they have a couple of producers and whatever. And so after his little meltdown with producers, uh, they began talking with the big brass at ABC. Now, Michael Strahan is a very valuable player for them. Uh, not only does he co-host Strahan, Sarah, and Geeky, um, but he's a sports commentator, still technically a co-anchor of Good Morning America, and hosts the $1,000, or the $100,000 Pyramid um, in primetime. And they're not really concerned about kicking him off the GMA. Um, he's not the Robin Roberts or George Stephanopoulos um, that the rest of them are. But, you know, when you've built the whole game show around one personality, it might be a little bit more difficult to... Um, it might be a little bit more difficult to... Um, reboot the show with a new host. And given that they can record these game shows in such a short amount of time, um, it is very easy for them to want to um, stick with the classic formula. Or, I'm sorry, it, it, they, film all, they can film all the episodes in like a week. So, of course, you're going to want to um, stick with this, especially when you don't know what you're going to have for the fall. But in any case, they're not pleased. They are looking into ways to get rid of him. Um, one, one of those ways, um, one of the, and this just came in, um, just now, actually, from my source, when I lost my train of thought, one of the ways that they are looking at um, rebooting a pyramid and getting rid of Michael Strahan, um, the popular the popular thought was to bring in Susan Lucci, but the new thought is you don't necessarily want to replace a black man with a white woman. So. If you bring in Kiki, allow Michael to say that he has so many other projects going on. Um, that would allow him to um, keep his dignity, but get him off the air. This is, of course, a developing story. I'm going to stay on top of it for you for as long as I possibly can, um, which is literally forever. <laughs> All right, guys. I'm going to take a break here, and I'm going to send you over to Will with Politalk. Uh, thank you, as always, so much for listening, and until next time, here's Will. Welcome back, ladies, gentlemen, and others, to this week's episode of Politalk, where once again, the big driving story is the Rona, more properly known as COVID-19, and our government's response to it, or, as it's increasingly looking like in many of the states, its lack thereof. This week saw an increased push across the country, but mostly in Republican states such as Texas and Alabama, to 
reopen the economy since, according to most Republican governors, the initial spike has died down and the cure for coronavirus and its devastating economic effects cannot be worse than the disease, to paraphrase what many of them are saying. This push has come against the advice of health experts such as Dr. Fauci, who warned on Tuesday in a congressional hearing that reopening the country early would be incredibly risky and potentially undo all the work that we've done so far in containing the spread of the disease. The data so far seems to have borne his warning out as a number of new COVID-19 hotspots have popped up in Texas, Alabama, and other places within the Republican heartland that have pushed to reopen. Texas in particular has become something of a focal point for the controversy after a recent political scandal involving a local hairdresser in Dallas. A scandal that may be among the dumbest that we have ever covered on Politalk, which is really saying something, considering that we've covered, among other things, both the most blatant example of insider trading that I've ever seen, in my brother Charlie's words, and the time that Trump paid off Deutsche Bank with Deutsche Bank's own money. Now, the Shelley Luther case, as I'm going to refer to it for the rest of this episode, is something of an idiot's scandal, by which I mean it could have been easily avoided if everyone in it were not an idiot. Or, really, if anyone involved in it were not an idiot. The story starts with Texas Governor Greg Abbott, who earlier this month was a fairly big supporter of social distancing measures, going so far as to enforce his state's restrictions with potential fines or jail time of up to 180 days. His quote, if businesses such as hair salons or restaurants opened early before May 8th. Now, this restriction proved to be far too much of a problem for Dallas hairdresser Shelley Luther, who has claimed that she needs to reopen as without her hair salon and the income from it, she has had trouble feeding her kids. And as such, she felt entitled to ignore Governor Abbott's order on reopening businesses. When Ms. Luther attempted to reopen ahead of schedule, local Dallas judge Eric Moyer issued her an order to shut down business. He also requested that she apologize for violating the governor's order and for endangering her customers and fellow citizens. When Ms. Luther refused his order, the judge held her in contempt of court and sentenced her to seven days in jail, which is a fairly wild escalation, if you ask me, but then again, I'm not an Eighth Circuit judge, and it was in line with Governor Abbott's orders. Now, this sentencing decision created a huge outcry among the mostly among the conservative crowd. Obviously, to many of them, it was a classic example of government overreach and fueled their case that the lockdown's measures were absurdly draconian and affront to American life, an affront to American life. So they immediately began pressuring the governor and the state court to 
release Shelley Luther and lift the orders, the restraining orders. Governor Abbott and the state Supreme Court both eventually caved to the public's demands. Governor Abbott removed his sentencing guidelines and lifted the coronavirus restrictions on hair salons a little early, and the state Supreme Court issued an order for Shelley Luther's release and overturned her convictions. She's since become something of a celebrity among the far-right crowd. Ted Cruz and Sarah Palin have both go- have both taken up her case. The former even went to go publicly went to go get a haircut at her salon. She's gotten in a bit of trouble since this all came to national attention as it was she revealed on the view that she got an $18,000 forgivable loan from the small business program but hadn't been sure what to spend it on as quote my stylists aren't employees, they sublease the space from me, and so I can't spend it to pay them. Quote. Now you may have noticed a remarkable lack of commentary from President Donald Trump, as this is exactly the sort of thing that he would have liked to jump in on. After all, it supports his case that lockdown measures are draconian. It lets him point to popular support for his ideas. So why would he why would he stay out of the fray here? Well, the answer, of course, as I'm sure you all know by now, is that he spent the past three or four days attempting to fabricate a series of crimes by his predecessor, Barack Obama. Trump has given no information on the details of these crimes. But based on his supporters' theories, he's alleging that Barack Obama launched an illegal effort to frame his campaign for contacts with Russia, undermine his authority as soon as he took office, and attempt to undermine the results of the 2016 election. Now, obviously, as anybody who has followed the news or listened to this podcast knows, this is all baseless bunkum. However, Republicans in the Senate have shown a disturbing tendency to go along with it. Many have hailed the Department of Justice overturning Michael Flynn's conviction for lying to the FBI. And Lindsey Graham, Senator Lindsey Graham, while stopping short of calling for an investigation of Barack Obama, said that it was time to bring those in his administration to the stand to see, quote, what they knew and when they knew it. Quote. No word yet on whether the president and his cronies are going to be able to convince the public of this conspiracy, or whether it's going to sufficiently distract from his government's terrible handling of the coronavirus epidemic. Early indications are that it at least hasn't distracted the media for longer than a day. Anyway, that's this week's episode of Rona Talk. <clears throat> Politalk. I'm sure you're all very tired of hearing that joke. Unfortunately for you, I'm not tired of making it, so you're going to keep hearing it. Thank you very much for listening, and I will see you next week. Or you'll hear from me next week. Until then, cheers.